Hello, Guardians. Today is Friday, January 27th, 2023. We're a month away from Lightfall. My name's Dan Finity, and welcome to Destiny Digest. Huge episode for you guys this week as we welcome Bife to talk about the lore and story implications last year has brought to Destiny 2, especially in preparation for Lightfall. Before we get too deep into the news, I want to say a special thank you to everyone who helps make this show possible, from producer Asefa to the fine folks who give a few bucks a month to keep the lights on over at the coffee. That is coffee.com forward slash Danfinity. Because of you, we have over 400 subscribers in 54 countries around the world, and you're constantly helping me to raise the quality of the show. Thank you so much. This week has been a bit of a roller coaster. Tuesday, we saw the promised hotfix 6.3.0.5, bringing with it changes to airborne effectiveness, the reintroduction of Rumble as a standalone PvP playlist, the removal of blues once you hit power soft cap, and about 20 hours of downtime that ended in a server rollback on Wednesday morning with hotfix 6.3.0.6. Personally, I'd like to give the teams behind bringing the game back online a huge thank you. I saw several devs post that they pulled an all-nighter to get back up and running. Community reception ranged from the understanding to the downright offensive, as unfortunately we have with any large community. Now, we'll be getting into the TWAB in a minute, but an excellent piece of context here for the downtime on Tuesday came with it. Quoting from the blog post here, Earlier this week, we released Hotfix 6.3.0.5. Shortly after, reports came in that many Triumph seals and catalysts were missing. We discovered that the issue was caused and some currently incompletable EDZ and Nessus Triumphs were moved from Forsaken into the Archive Triumph section. To make that change, we used a tool that can move player state from one location to another in the player's account. This tool is very powerful, but requires careful and cautious handling. Due to a configuration error, we accidentally re-ran an older state migration process used for the Beyond Light release. As a result, we ended up recopying old data from before Beyond Light into the current configuration, essentially undoing certain aspects of player progression since then. Once we identified that the issue resulted in a loss of player state, we took the game down and rolled back the player database while we investigated how to remove the dangerous change from the build. Last night, we constructed a patch for 6.3.0.5 that removed the specific change that was causing the issue, tested it, and deployed it live. As a result of this fix, all player accounts had to be rolled back to 8.20 a.m. PST on January 24th. This means that any progress made between 8.20 and 11 a.m. was lost and all purchases refunded. You can find more details at our new at Destiny 2 team account. Thanks again for your patience while we sorted this out. Shortly after the game came back online on Wednesday, Bungie posted an article outlining economy changes coming to Lightfall. For the TLDR starting in Season 20, Umbral Ingrams will be going the way of the Dodo in favor of new seasonal Ingrams. Ada 1 will start selling three shaders a week that haven't been earnable for a while, such as Black Armory shaders and those from factions and lost locations, at a cost of 10k glimmer per shader. Zavala will see updates as a vendor to bring him up to parity with other updated vendors from seasons past, including the introduction of special Vanguard Ingrams and weapon focusing. Zavala will also be able to focus Nightfall rewards for those who've earned them previously, with adept weapons needing a cipher to focus. 
ciphers will drop at platinum, gold, and silver rewards in Nightfalls. Every current tower vendor will receive additional legacy gear focusing for armor sets and weapons from past years in the game. This also includes Trials weapons and gear. For a full list and breakdown, please visit the links in the show notes. For this week at Bungie, community manager Sam takes the reins. We'll cover the quick hits outside of the updates that we've already discussed. Festival of the Lost design voting will be available soon. This year, we get to vote between spider and beetle themes with a twist. Voting is per class. So we could see Titans getting spider gear, whereas warlocks get beetle and on and on through all the different interpolations of that theme. That's a really cool change and one that I feel doesn't leave people out when they have a certain aesthetic. Currently, I'm digging on the spider theme stuff myself, but you should keep an eye out on your mailboxes to vote for yourself. Next week, Red Border focusing from seasonal vendors on the helm will shift from weekly turn-ins with Umbral Ingrams to daily. That's a great quality of life change for those grinding out those weapons and feeling under the gun. I didn't mean the pun there. Oh my God. Iron Banner rep gains next week will also be increased per match with increased multipliers for wearing armor and equipping the emblem. That's all for the news. Now, on to our interview with My Name is Bife. Also, like, that D3 video, I kind of want to touch on that, because that has, like, a weird... Dude, that thing's taken off. I did not... <laughs> I did... I'll be totally honest, I made it as an interesting discussion topic, and I was mm-hmm. like, hey, you know, I've been doing it for long enough, I can probably make something about this. Nearly 200,000 views in two days later, apparently it just sort of sparked the whole fucking thing, so I don't know what's going on with that, but... Yeah. Yeah, it, that did great. <laughs> it it kind of hit me in a weird nerve. Like, not a bad one, but, like... uh. Yeah, this is a new kind of segment of storytelling, you know? Yeah, well, and it it also, like, kind of... Well, we can get into it later, but it kind of deepens my relationship with the game in a weird mm-hmm. way. Because, <laughs> like, I mean, how long, have, how long have you been playing? You've been, you've been around for ages, right? Well, you know what? Let's start. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've been around for, like, uh, th- not, like, Destiny launch, but, like, shortly thereafter, like, past probably a couple couple weeks after Destiny 1 launched. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, so I mean, you know, you get it. You know, you've, you've been here for ages too. You've been shaped by the whole course of the journey. Well, yeah, it's not only that, but like it kind of is, um, it, it, it's kind of mirroring a, a personal journey. Because like, uh, <laughs> I'm just going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to go ahead and introduce here. Hey, my name is Bifus here, guys. Uh, <laughs> but we'll continue this conversation. Um, uh, welcome to the show. Glad to have you. Um, Very glad to be here. So the the recent video that you put out, um, the title being, oh, come on. <laughs> it's the most recent one. Is This is uh, Destiny 3 is, is on the thumbnail, but Destiny 2 Lightfall is actually looking more like Destiny 3. Uh, the story is about to change. And you talk about these inflection points uh, along the history of Destiny 2 or of, of Destiny as a whole, um, where the story deepens and where it uh, sheds new light and context on the actions of the past and where we could be going in the future. Um, and in the story of that, like everything kind of starts out fairly simple 
in in Destiny One, there wasn't really much of a story. We were just mm-hmm. told to go shoot. <laughs> we were just told to go shoot things for the big space god, <laughs> and then yep. <laughs> from there, like now we have all this context and all this ambiguity and all of this. Um, it's it's kind of like a um, for me personally, uh, it's kind of like a, ze- a, a zealot's journey. If you think about it, like you're moving from from being a zealot into this deconstruction of self where you have to ponder what you are without the the deity. Mm-hmm. And that is and a then, story that hits me right in the gut because <laughs> that like mine, mine is on like a, a smaller level, but I grew up very religious <laughs> and and into my early adulthood started questioning things and now now in in this place where i'm finally myself but i feel like that may be the based based on your video and based on some of the deeper connections in there it kind of feels like we're doing the same thing as a guardian i'd I'd say so yeah i mean i hadn't thought of categorizing it as a zealot's journey but that's actually a very good way of putting it because a lot of the stuff around the traveler especially in the early days in destiny's lore it is spoken of in many ways that refer to it almost in a godlike fashion you know it is spoken of in a context not just of the things that it's actually done and the things that is provided with the guardians but also in the context of faith mm-hmm. i mean so one of my favorite bits of lore from the season of dawn is this this law book where it basically goes over the history of the speaker and more importantly it goes over the fact that during the golden age there were multiple speakers and they basically just got hit at random points in time with these sort of revelatory visions. And they would not, I, I guess the right word is to sort of preach the word of the traveler, mm-hmm. which was that the traveler was there to lift them up and that one day it would leave them, you know. And so sitting there and looking at the traveler through a lens of faith, I think is very much what a lot of this has been looked for and about how you need to sit there and Whilst you can still hold that faith, as a lot of characters like, say, Zavala occasionally still do, I mean, Mm. now much less ever since Witch Queen, but, you know, even as that faith gets challenged, it's one of those moments of which we are, throughout the entire story, moving to a point where we can understand the context of of the world better. Mm -hmm. So when we sit there and actually look at the Traveler, you're able to put it in place amongst the rest of the different fragments of the story. And when all of that comes together, as we have started to learn... That, I think, then does encompass exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, it's totally Zealot's journey. I, I really never thought of it like that. But I think it's more, too, because mm-hmm. I think it's not just the thing of, you know, expanding one's consciousness. I think it's also about understanding that the other side exists and is yeah. not necessarily bad, mm-hmm. if you get what I mean. Like, the, one of the biggest story beats and revelations that was really important during the time of Beyond Light and even in the time of Witch Queen was this idea that even the darkness, you know, the darkness, the quote-unquote big, bad-named neutral enemy force is actually a neutral force. And, you know, it's about the individuals who wield it, you know, some of which are guardians who have actually done good and others of who are characters such as, say, Rourke and The Witness and now Callus. you know, it's all about the individual. Mm-hmm. It very much feels like um, as, as we have progressed through throughout destiny, it definitely feels like we have more skin in the game because that focus kind of comes off of uh, the travelers, so to speak. And why, do, why doesn't it, 
<laughs> why doesn't it react to us to um now this this individualism um where how are you feeling about the story of this year as we've gone from risen to haunted to plunder to now seraph like do you feel like that helps um in, in your latest video you call it like an inflection point um yes where we're um, coming in do do you feel that we're leading up to that inflection point and do you feel like we're we're a little past it and and pushing into new territory I think the way that I'd put it is no matter how sharp the corner is, there's always a point at which slowly, even on a microscopic level, something begins to gently turn. Mm -hmm. And I think if you look at um, Lightfall as a supposed inflection point, which I, I've said as much that I do uh, in the last video, as you said, um, I look at everything that's come before in these last four seasons as the beginning, the more gentle start of that curve. And I feel like as far as setting up the war between the witness and its forces and us, that's been a very important step for the story. But mm -hmm. I'd be lying if I said that it had worked out perfectly. What mm -hmm. I think the story has done well is it's kept everything front and center with regards to the war with light and dark. You know, everything has been about building allies within our new coalition. Everything has been about military cooperation within the different factions that we now are working with. You even have law passages that directly mention guardians working alongside both Cabal and Fallen Splices. So, you know, you have these amazing moments where that's going on. And on the flip side of things, you take a look at our enemies and they're doing the exact same thing. Lots of the story beats have been about, okay, what is the exploration of how these different bits of the puzzle are going to work out as far as whose side they're on. Mm -hmm. And also, what are they doing individually? Where might they go in the future? You know, I, I think one of the better examples of this is the season of the plunder, because a lot of it is basically categorizing and talking about, okay, who is going where, where do their loyalties lie? And realistically, where might they go to in the future? You know, mm -hmm. it's answering questions like Nezarek, who were they? He was a disciple. Okay, good to know. What are they doing now? They're kind of dead. Okay, so they're out of the picture. But in yeah. the meantime, we've got Aramis, you know? And Aramis is very much on the witness's side at the moment, but it's all the time referencing her loyalties being tested, which is a very big and consistent hint that shows that both she and the rest of the House of Salvation aren't necessarily allies in the same way that, say, Sivu Arath and the witness are. You know, whilst Sivor Rath may fail from time to time, she's still very much a trusted part of the Witness's core cohort, kind mm -hmm. of like how Callus is now. They're but at the it tells barbecue. us, yeah, they're at the barbecue. She's kind of sitting there, being told to watch the door mm -hmm. and being delivered like the single, I don't know, half baked pork roll something. I don't know. Something's not great with what's going on with Aramis, and it's very clear that the Witness is trying to inspire some kind of loyalty, mm -hmm. but through fear rather than anything else. You know? And and that's kind of like the core of what Plunder is, as well as talking, of course, about the rest of the story of the Elixney at the time being. But to bring it all back to the central point of it, it's showing us where all those different pieces lie on the board. Nezarek is out. For the moment, Aramis is tentatively in the Witnesses' column. Mm -hmm. House Salvation there as well. The House of Light, as well as everyone else that we meet in that season, tentatively in ours. It takes one of the smaller things for it as well. 
it takes people out of the wild card column, as I mm-hmm. put it, you know, including people such as, say, the spider. Because you sit there and you look at things uh, from the perspective of before Plunder, and he was just out there in the system doing who knows what. And for all we know, he could have ended up being an ally to the witness or just not being involved. Now, mm-hmm. with him sitting in the city and with lots of the bits of law, it's implied that he is firmly kind of like on our side, if only for the sake of convenience, right? right. So again, like this idea of taking those individual people or factions and either placing them on our our side or the enemy's side has been kind of the theme of the entire year. You know, you see it happen with Risen, you see it happen uh, with Haunted very clearly, which of course leads into the Callus story in Lightfall. You see it with Plunder, with the Elixir stories, and you see it with Warmind again. And uh, yeah, when the Warmind comes up again in Seraph, it's kind of important too, because you finally see the culmination of that in the latest cutscene. You know, mm-hmm. you see Mara, you see Zavala, you see Anna, you have them talking about Rasputin, and in that same meeting you have Keitel and Mithrax. It's basically all the leaders of the coalition sitting down in one room and saying, this is our problem right now, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, that's, that's kind of what it's been from that standpoint of the year, is this thing of building alliances. And like I said at the very beginning of all this spiel, that's been really good for helping to make sure Lightfall's well set up. Mm-hmm. It's been okay for telling individual stories from time to time and could definitely have been done better at certain points. I feel like, you know, there are points at which the season of the plunder most definitely missed the mark. Mm. There were some points at which I feel like haunted was good, but didn't necessarily resonate with everybody. Mm -hmm. For me personally, as someone who's sat there and (laughs) has been depressed and understands a lot of the stuff that was going on. Yeah. I, I, I got haunted. Haunted hit me really well, but it's not everyone's cup of tea because not everybody has actually sat there and experienced that. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's just the nature of storytelling, right? right sometimes exactly. it's going to hit, sometimes it's going to miss, but there were some errors. I, I think it's fair to say. Mm-hmm. What have been some of the biggest surprises to you of this past year? I didn't expect Saladin to step in for Crow in the way that he did mm. back in the season of the risen. I think honestly, that's, one of the biggest surprises to me. It's especially with the way that at the beginning of the season he was arguing with the Cabal. And it makes some sense because, I, you know, him stepping in and making sure that it was a noble sacrifice in a certain way is one thing. Him then being turned into a Bracus and then, of course, earning the title of Valus, it was a very pleasant surprise because it was one of those moments of like, okay, not only are we working with somebody who has honor in the form of both Saladin and, of course, Keitel, but also it shows Keitel's pragmatism, which is kind of an important point for the story going forward because we haven't talked about it, but somewhere down the road, her and her people have a planet to reclaim, and we may help at some point in the future. So, like, you know, it's a big story beat to get set up, and it's very much important on that front. Absolutely. Like, especially, like, this season, we seem to have gotten a lot more information about how Torah bottle had been taken over like mm. with 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 um zivu kind of coming in and playing the same game that she's she's playing with us a little bit right essentially yeah and then i mean that's kind of the genius of zivu's trap really whenever it comes along is you need to fight a god of war and especially for people like the cabal it was impossible for them to not fall into the trap mm-hmm. i mean 
amazing to see that those parallels are being drawn again in this. Because, yeah, I, I do think that it's a very important lesson of cyclical natures and how to break them. And for the Cabal, and even for Keitel personally, that's actually a really important theme. I would say that this season as well has been... I mean, wow, uh, we talked about surprises earlier and I mentioned Saladin, but I was uh, <laughs> I was not ready for them to sit there and on the 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 what I assumed would be the quiet before the storm, that quiet fourth Thursday during the Christmas break period. I wasn't yep. ready for them to drop this thing of being like, oh, by the way, uh, Clovis was the one who was planning to shoot the Traveler and all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know... That answers and gives context to like a mystery that's been in Destiny's story for approximately half a decade, maybe yeah. longer. And Since it's the just, beginning. <laughs> yeah, you know, like people have been asking questions about. Did Rasputin shoot the Traveler? Since people understood what Warmind Protocol text vaguely meant, you know. So mm -hmm. it's this stuff where you sit there and you suddenly get an answer like that, and it's. I I don't know. It hits you in the face like a ton of bricks, and you're lying under said bricks, and you're like. What happened? Yeah. What, what you know, it's 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 good, but it is a little shocking in a certain respect because it's just, you know, you sit there and you have something that's so established in the deep background of the lore, and then suddenly it's just presented with the necessary context to explain it in the story. Mm -hmm. And it's honestly that's kind of, I, I referred to it as a ton of bricks, but it's actually a kind of poor metaphor because what I'm gonna say next makes no sense then. It's very refreshing because that takes a bit of the deep lore that has been speculated about by the community for years and it literally drags it into the limelight, you know? They don't mention that it's called abhorrent imperative. They don't mention the little bits of Warmind code where it shows that the protocol existed and gives you the ambiguous question as to whether Rasputin used it or not. No, they give you the whole answer, they simplified it, and they took the big important moment of it and they put that into the context that was necessary and relevant for what was happening right then and there. And that's you know, as far as storytelling goes, that's good because that's taking the law and actually making it story. Mm -hmm. At this point in time, the idea of Rasputin shooting, shooting the Traveler has entered the general consciousness and has gone beyond like law beards such as myself. Yeah. Uh, and that's good because, you know, now people who sit there and hear that, they're going to remember it. And the people who don't remember it are just the people who skips cutscenes and they're not here for this stuff anyway so i mean you know fair enough to them <laughs> yeah um that that was like that moment of kind of clarity uh that was not a pun by the way um ah, that moment i, I see your wording there <laughs> <laughs> uh but that moment of 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 clarity on on that subject in particular i can't remember the last time we've had something like that what, is there something is there a story specifically from the lore that you would say has uh, equal weight in how much of a bombshell it was revealing something from the lore of the past? I think the the closest we get, I mean, if you're going to go for obscure in recent times, I would say the Nezarek in Season of the Plunder mm -hmm. uh, is very important because, again, that was another whispered bit of lore that if you managed to work it out before the cutscene dropped, it was this beautiful little revelation all packaged up and given context with Mithrax's house and everything. And that was great. I'd say the real big one, which I didn't really wrap into what I'd said earlier because it's technically Witch Queen, not the seasons, but I guess I should have, mm -hmm. is just the revelation that you hear from the worm larvae in Witch Queen. 
which effectively changes everything. You know, not only is it this incredible irony that the God of deception was created by being deceived, but it's also this amazing story beat, which, yes, technically it's retcon, but it's the good kind of retcon where nothing that happened before and nothing was said is discounted or disqualified. Mm -hmm. It adds context to it and creates good flavor. And you know what? I'm all for that. And it makes a great degree of sense with the new stuff that's been added. It gives perfect context as to how things are feeling. But more importantly, it informs what's going to happen in the future. This wasn't just a throwaway line so that they could make Rourke more of a villain or make the witness seem like the true bad guy in the situation. No, I think that the idea that the Hive have been lied to this whole time is going to have huge implications even bigger is the implications that they were going to be chosen by the Traveler to be uplifted next. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it sets the entire narrative of their people as the downtrodden who rose up and destroyed others so that they could no longer be downtrodden. It paints it in an entirely different light. Because when you've been deceived like that, and when you were always going to get helped, it makes it, it, makes it really clear all of a sudden that you know, you have been not only lied to, but lied to in that sense by the devil of all devils. You know, mm -hmm. you had this pathway you were supposed to take and you were not even necessarily pulled away from it. You were dragged away from it without even realizing, you know, it's, it's devious. And I think that when that came along, realizing all of it uh, and seeing how that revelation played into the story was one of those moments where I paused and I would, Am I allowed to swear? Hey, <laughs> I, do I what you want. <laughs> you know, I, I, I literally said something along the lines of this is wild. And what got cut from the T-slip was me constantly saying, holy fucking shit, holy fucking shit in the background, <laughs> you know? Because, you know, it's very rare that a law piece comes along and just changes the dynamic of an entire established thing that in the lore of the game has been going on for millions if not potentially billions of years mm -hmm. you know this this is such ancient history that entire dynasties and ways of life have been baked into this thing it's a cultural understanding for people in the hive mm -hmm. that is just not the same for any other culture it's something that is so basely ingrained in them that they're willing to do all sorts of terrible things to themselves to uphold it you know this this totally changed who they are. If it wasn't for this thing happening to them, they'd still be called the Krill. Mm -hmm. You know, like, yeah, massive story revelations coming through of that. I, I have to say again, phenomenal stuff. It was so entertaining watching that pan out. You know, mm -hmm. we and I, I, as a separate note, I feel like in Witch Queen we did need a big kind of like we needed something that made it worthy of you know being compared to the Taken King. Mm -hmm. narratively speaking yeah huge and between huge shoes to fill. yeah it was huge shoes to fill and they more than filled it you know between savathun basically getting us to feed her her own memories back to create her master plan and then us figuring out this revelation and sharing it with her and the final mission wow just it's totally stunning like i'm 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 really jazzed that that happened because yeah it totally did live up to it at least in my opinion it did mm-hmm yeah. Then again, I, d I don't think I have rose-tinted glasses about the Taken King the way everyone else does. So, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the Savathun of it all over the past year, with her being kind of off the board completely, um, 
where do you see her fitting in to the grand scale of things uh, go, leading into Lightfall? I know we had a voice line from her in the trailer leading into this season. Do you think like do you think she's part of that quest that we see like in the last couple of weeks or I don't know but I'll be I'd be lying if I said that I didn't think that whenever Zivu is involved in the story that she's going to come up at some point. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's very odd I think because I think we know how this story ends or at least has as it's becoming a canned phrase but has an inflection point. Mm-hmm. Um and for the story of Zivu and Savathun I think it's very much the moment when the two of them step into a room with each other again and Zivu hears about the lie. You know, I mm-hmm. feel like in this moment, just like uh, a confrontation, a true confrontation between Keitel and Callus is building in the background, um, I feel as though a confrontation between Savathun and Zivu is also building. And the reason I say that is because I feel as though if there's one person who Zivu will still potentially believe, it will be her sister, but more importantly, her sister who has abandoned everything about the darkness that forced her to lie to survive, and then has embraced something completely different. Her sister who now holds this knowledge and can speak to its veracity by saying, I was lied to, which, if you can imagine that coming from Savathun, is possibly the most powerful humbling thing that she can say and i think that the questions are first of all what leads us to that point mm-hmm. because savathun is a guardian and her ghost has survived which means that there is definitely a chance that she gets resurrected mm-hmm. you know the context as well of is she then our ally after having fought us but then having heard about what happened and then finally, the question of if this does happen and her and Zivu do end up in a room together, what does Zivu do? Mm-hmm. Because there's a really good question about whether Zivu sits there and says, I don't care, I still have to war to survive, I am mm-hmm. war, this is who I am, which in a way is very true to who she is on the whole, full stop. Or whether she sits there and takes vengeance for the lie, in which case that takes a sizable chunk of the hive off the board completely. You know, it it's kind of the major story revelation that throws a huge spanner in the works. You know, this is like, to put an MCU spin on it, this is a little bit like Gamora talking Nebula out of working for Thanos. You know, oh, yeah. this, is a, this is a big deal. You know, it's one of the major lieutenants of the witness being pulled off the board. And my question really about all of that ends up being not when that's going to happen, because I have to imagine that a conversation like that is going to take place in the future, but more, how do we get there? You know, Mm -hmm. it's the, it's, I don't think going to happen in this season because Savathun has just not been the focus of everything. The closest link we have to it, aside from Zivu herself, of course, is Osiris and Osiris is only mentioned Savathun a few times this season mm-hmm. and not in any sense that seems to hint at the idea that she will be returning. You know, Bungie likes to tee these things up. They like to make it kind of obvious that something is going on. With Imaru not being teased, I don't think we'll see anything in that quest in the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. What I do think that we'll see at some point in a major expansion, maybe not Lightfall, but maybe something to do with Final Shape, we will see this massive story moment and a revelation that occurs between Zivu Arath and Savathun 
and we'll see that moment pan out and it will fundamentally change the balance of the war. I, I, I have to imagine that that's what's going on, you know? Yeah. Like that makes logistically that makes sense because they, yeah. they would have to face each other eventually. Mm-hmm. And um, it also, I, I think it deals with one of the more important things of Destiny's story right now, which is whilst people are being sorted into allies of the witness and allies of us, there's also that third column that I talked about earlier, which is just wild cards, people we don't know about, you know? Mm-hmm. I'd class the fanatic in there. I'd class certain aspects of the nine in there. I'd class a whole bunch of different nebulous things throughout the system in there, such as the Aphelion, which we still don't know much about. Uh, I'd definitely class the Vex in there. Most importantly of all, though, and most obvious given the last few seasons, are the Lucent Hive. Because they're using the light, but they're certainly not allies of us. Mm-hmm. And they are certainly no friends to the witness. So you have this column of wild cards and the biggest amongst them all is definitely the lucent hive so whenever you have a wild card like that i feel like there's a moment where you can sit and you can ask okay when are they going to do something are they going to come back and do a thing is that going to be the topic of a future story going forward you know if it's a wild card such as say sabathun i imagine that that's something that has to be answered at some point in the future under what context i don't know but yeah, I, I have to imagine that something's going to happen. Yeah. Um, Max, a.k.a. at GGC Quick, uh, had a question of, what do you guys think will happen regarding Amaru in the future? Really interesting character, even though we don't see him much uh, in-game and has been MIA since Witch Queen's campaign outside of patrols. Lots to speculate about considering his importance to Lucent Brood and Savathun. Mm. I don't know what will happen with Amaru. I mean, obviously, if Maru comes up, then Savathun has to, as does the Lucent Brood, and that will probably be rolled into the same season or expansion or whatever it may be as Zivu and all of that stuff to do with the Hive. But I imagine if we do see Maru coming forward, it will be in a context where we will be working with them. You know, if it mm-hmm. was to be such a thing as a seasonal vendor, I could see Maru being a seasonal vendor or at very least a seasonal character. Because they tee him up constantly with the patrols, and you see him in the campaign a whole bunch. Imaru is a named character to the point where something must happen. I'd really love to see them do something with him and Finch and our own ghost. Because there are moments at which our ghost actually notes, like, hey, I think I remember Imaru before he resurrected Savathun. I think I know who he is but as a ghost, and he was always kind of a jerk. You know, and I'd love to see that relationship get developed and, you know, for Finch to be kind of the linchpin between the three. And then, yeah, I don't know. I'd love a, I'd love a season of just sitting there with us and Ikora and those two ghosts coming along as well, mm-hmm. as well as our own. And just watching three tiny drones just go at each other and babble and bob it. And us and Ikora just sitting there and watching in the corner being like, oh, my God, please make All it right. stop. Okay. <laughs> these guys clearly have history it's like do you guys need do you want 15 minutes in the room should, should we should we you guys need any water coffee anything all right Duffel we'll be bag. on the outside just <laughs> let us know what you need we're here for you yeah um, if, if if our ghost comes along and says i take it all back crush him i don't care <laughs> that's gonna be one of those moments in which it's like oh my god please <laughs> <laughs> I'd love it, but it's also a moment of like, oh no, no, <laughs> we need them. Probably, I don't know. The story definitely needs them. Oh my God, 
Yeah, this this season has had some some interesting turns, especially uh, the ghost who was controlling their guardian. That that seemed interesting. Um, what uh, Seth and I, when we were talking about production uh, for this episode, uh, asked the question like, what um, what dangling threads do you see? in the story mm. that you would like to see kind of tied up before Lightfall, what would you like to see elaborated on in the ne- over the next year? I'd like to see, I mean, this is a very personal one, but I'd love to see Ikora and everyone else reaffirm their trust in Osiris. Mm-hmm. Because it, it not only does it tee him up for his next narrative arc, which is clearly going to be in Lightfall, but also I think it's one of those things of he's a character deserving of some grace and some benefit of the doubt given Mm -hmm. all of the nonsense that he's suffered through. That's a very personal thing, I think, just because I like Osiris as a character. But, you know, that's totally beside the point. Yeah. I think... During uh, during Spire, he definitely seems like the the dad who's down on his luck. Who's like, look, mm -hmm. I need this. I need this. Please, can I... Yeah, and and you know what? For Osiris to sit there and say, I need this, Mm -hmm. is... And to do it in a very... It's a really humbling thing for him to do, and you know this is the this is the guy where everyone sits there and says, "Well, you know, Osiris, his ego is almost as big as Clovis's head." You know, it's like, yeah, that's a big deal for him to sit there and quite candidly be just like, "Look, no one trusts me. I need this so that I can continue to be," and that's a that's really important. You know, his character growth has been rather fantastic especially considering that it's hard to tell a story about a mentor who falls out of that role. You know, mm-hmm. he's very much now become well, not the student, but he he's very much in a secondary role to Ikora. He mm-hmm. plays second fiddle to her because she's not only the Vanguard taking over the role that he left, but also he no longer has the light. He no longer has a ghost. He's not necessarily trusted. You know, there's a lot for him to do to regain his footing. And he has done a lot of that work, I'd say. Mm-hmm. So sitting there and having him potentially regain his footing um, and and have that trust restored is, you know, I'd, I'd love to see that get sort of wrapped up in those last two weeks. I think there's, I don't know that this is going to happen because it's one of those things of the, the season talks about it, but I imagine they'll save it for a future season. I'd love to see a little bit more about what's going on with Aramis mm-hmm. because Aramis is very clearly a dangling thread. The fact that she is uh, horrified by the witness turning members of her house into scorn is a clear indication that she may defect. And, you know, she's one of those things of, as I said earlier, she's tentatively on the witness's side. But yeah. Tentatively is the important word in that sentence. You know, it's it's a it's a it's a story beat that I feel will have stuff in the future. I just don't know when. Mm-hmm. And if they do clear it up in these last few days, I feel as though. It, it's it's kind of a bit of a big thing for them to do in a in the last two weeks worth of story, mm-hmm. but it's not impossible, you know. I do still sit there and think that that's going to be a future story for the uh, fallen side of things, and we'll see what happens with all of that. But yeah, I I personally think that she is the biggest of all the dangling story threads out there. You know, mm-hmm. lots of other things are clearly going to wrap up with the seasonal finale, but. She's the one thing that I think is going to get left uh, out and dry for the next season or season after that or something else that's going on in the background. Mm -hmm. I feel like this season, this year also saw like the dungeons 
taking more of the story weight, um, particularly from from strike missions, right? Like <clears throat> duality gives you more of an insight into Callus's mind, into his into his past, especially um, the night of the coup. Mm, yes and then absolutely yeah then you have spire being this kind of like not only does does uh osiris need this mission to go through but aramis is also sending you those tiny little messages on the side of like hey check like this is what's going on with me (laughs) like Mm -hmm. how of those arcing events which have you enjoyed the most uh, complicated question because I, I I I try and play the game to an end game thing. So mm-hmm. I've soloed dungeons and I have a small hatred for duality for being harder to solo, but mm-hmm. also because incendiors and phalanxes backpacks and suck, boss stomps and yeah, they it, it's all it, it's a load of, it's a load of hot baby back bullshit. Let me put it that way. But um, yeah, I think what I've really loved, honestly though, is Spire because. You know, getting to know Kalos personally and showing the little bits and pieces of lore direct from the Midnight Coup mm-hmm. and talking about the context of what his greatest shame is and how important Keitel as a character is to him. All of that's really good. And it feeds into, I think, what I think is really good about both the dungeons is that they inform the meta-narrative of the game going forward, you know, the wider arc of things, right? We know that in Lightfall, Kalos is the villain and mm-hmm. that it takes place on Neomuna. Both of those things are talked about in the lore of both dungeons. You know, duality is all about Callus, the villain, and Neomuna is talked about extensively in the Spire of the Watcher through the flight of Soteria and her sending out the Echo pods and creating the civilization quite unintentionally because one of the pods has a remnant of her seeded submind. Mm-hmm. So you know, both of them do a really good job of that. And it's for the lore of that stuff that I think I do enjoy Spire more. But it's not just about Soteria, who is an interesting character in the lore generally, but it's also because of the fact that in Spire, they crammed so much stuff into that with such a variety of different threads. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I'm honestly kind of baffled. You know, you have... The thread of stuff where the witness was clearly looking through this and sending his own Vex through mm-hmm. our kind of main run through of it with Osiris. You then go ahead and you look at the law after the matter of fact when the Tex Mechanica fire team and Anna Bray storm the facility and EMP it, which is amazing in itself because, again, as you mentioned, you get the whole thing of Moss 2 and No Name, aka the ghost who can control his guardian, mm-hmm. which that's remarkable. Um, you then have the Golden Age law between Clovis Bray, the corporation, and the Ishtar Collective, and Soteria, who, again, is a AI, kind of like Rasputin, but they're made with some Vex technology, and they have a degree of well, not an ability that would be seen as some as prophetic. You know, they can predict the future with remarkable accuracy on a mathematical basis, but still can't predict a causal slash paracausal things, as is the case with the Vex. Mm-hmm. And on top of all of it, you know, you can throw all the little bits and pieces that feed in here and there and just give you a little bit more context to any of that. And then there's the Aramis stuff. Like, I don't know how they did it, but they crammed six or seven different storylines worth of lore into a very compact series of things in the dungeon. And they did an amazing job of being able to tell all those stories through the lore 
whilst making something that at the same time is relevant to people in the here and now, because we're under the impression that, hey, maybe the witness is trying to imprison Rasputin's submines here, you know? Right. You go in with one expectation and come out with seven others. Mm-hmm. I, I think my own, my, my big critique for it, and this is what duality absolutely does better, is I would love to have seen some of the Soteria stuff expanded on a mm-hmm. little bit more when it came to uh, the core story of what happens in the dungeon, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, something along the lines of, say, um, after the dungeon is finished, you go through one of the last doors. You know, there's a door behind you in that final arena that never opens. Yeah. Go through there and have a small interaction with a console computer and have some remnant of Soteria go ahead and make some kind of communication, garbled as it may be. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, make maybe one alternate line if you get the bow. Things yeah. like that would have been would have really sold it because then you could not only make a bigger hint to what the really important part of that is, which is, hey, this is how Neomuna is, exists, but also you can you can sit there and really drive home the point of what the Vex were trying to find. Why mm-hmm. is the thing? Why is this thing, this spire, important? And more importantly, who is the Watcher that it names in its title? You know, when you find the Watcher, it should be a thing if you've actually found them. You know, and as it stands, you only really see the spire of the watcher if you get lucky enough to get an exotic drop. So, yeah, yeah, you know, that's well, about it. And that's uh, something that uh, D. Grigoskov asks. I just, uh, I just want to know as much information I, as possible. Mm, I, I know what this question is, but go ahead and ask <laughs> it because I'm fascinated on this. I yeah. need to, yeah. <laughs> he he says, uh, I just want to know as much information as possible on the fact that the hierarchy of needs catalyst makes the bow speak in reverse Russian. More info on Satarian Spire and anything relating to all of the above. Well, I think I think he's getting his wish answered here. But Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and preface this by saying I don't speak Russian. I'm also mm-hmm. going to preface this by saying whilst I have the bow, I don't have the catalyst yet. Okay. And what I'm finally going to say about this is... I haven't been able to confirm this. They've brought it up to me before, so they've said it twice. I I need to see someone else bring this up because I genuinely haven't been able to get any recordings of it, and I haven't been able to hear anybody else point it out. Mm -hmm. So I guess this is realistically my challenge to people in the audience and... You know, hey, I'll, I'll definitely, if, if you're okay with it, I'll definitely take this little conversation and make it into, like, a snippet that goes into a video, if you're fine with that, Dan. But, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Dude, I don't, I don't, I'm not your boss. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for letting me uh, hijack a little bit of content here. But, yeah, yeah, if anybody does have the catalyst and can send out recordings to r slash destiny secrets or r slash raid secrets and can then get people who know Russian to translate it from what it is backwards or whatever it may be, what is being said? Is there be anything being said? Because if there is, that'd be really fascinating to know. But I know that the person in question has brought it up twice. Uh, I, I Again, I don't speak Russian and I don't have the catalyst for the bow, so I can't speak to that. But if there is, it would be really interesting to see if there is something being said by Soteria, because it actually does lie at the core of stuff that is immediately relevant to Lightfall. And it would be a really cool tidbit from the dungeon lore, if that's a thing. Again, I don't know if it's a thing. I can't <laughs> confirm that here on the podcast. So for all yeah. I know, this is just nothing, and it just makes random garbled noise, which the Lord knows that's happened before. But yeah, yeah. in fact, fun little tangent story. Um do you remember the Destiny 2 beta when there was a farm 
uh, the the little moment where we could run yeah. around the farm sp- social space for the last couple of hours. Yeah, we found radios in the farm, and uh, they were spitting out random beeps and boops, and we sat there and heard the thing as Morse code. And oh. we, we translated it into a bunch of garbled nonsense and letters. And for a little bit, Raid Secrets was absolutely alight with trying to figure out what all of these things were. At the time being, I sit there and I'm doing something. And at the next press event where Deej's, he sits there and he comes up to me and says, you know, you really thought it was Morse code. You really couldn't have just like let it be the garbled beat boops that it was. <laughs> and I was like, so there's no ARG? And he's like, no, there's no ARG. <laughs> <laughs> Leave us alone. Yeah, it was it was that it was that thing of like, oh my god, next time don't I'm gonna have to let them know to not make the beeps and boops in any kind of specific manner. I'm gonna have to tell the sound team to cut it out because otherwise you guys are gonna go chasing around for puzzle when there is no puzzle and it just translates to gibberish. That should have been your first clue, Bife. You should have known that when it made no words whatsoever, that it made no sense whatsoever. So yeah, no that. Totally I have a, a story about this, so sorry. But like this this reminds me of you remember for Zero Hour when you had to go to Misrax and you had to like decode it. You had mm-hmm. to get yep. all the codes and decode it. And people were wondering, oh, is there because it, the community ended up brute forcing it, right? right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they were like, people were like, is there like a bet like was there a specific way to do this without brute forcing it? And I talked to one of the dev that worked on this, who doesn't work at Bungie anymore. Uh, that worked on it. She was like, "No, like there was no other way. You were supposed to brute force it." And I was like, "Oh," <laughs> he was like, "Yeah." So, this like this is not the first time. But she's like, "Yeah, we know you're gonna do this. We're still gonna do it." And I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> so yeah, that reminded me of this. So the codes mm. on the zero hour, you were supposed to brute force it. <laughs> Thanks, Bungie. It's that moment when you sit there and you're like. Hmm. When you have millions of players in a game, many of them dedicated to doing obnoxious, long-winded stuff, (laughs) you will eventually get the answer. And sometimes there is an answer, and sometimes it's just gibberish, and there is nothing going on. They know their community so well. (laughs) Yeah, they do. Now they do. Now they know not to throw Morse code in there. But yeah, if there's stuff with the Soteria bow, let, let us know so we can uh, so so we can get proper translations to that. We'll, we'll we'll have to come back and do another show at some point, and we'll get the answers to that stuff. Yeah, would lo- would love to have you back on another <laughs> another one just to confirm that. Also, if you want to get like, I I know I I help people with activities. I'm probably more of a hindrance than a help. But like, if you ever want to go for, through the master for that for that catalyst let me know oh don't worry i'm going after this after this conversation yeah. I'm, I'm gonna organize it i'm getting it done <laughs> like i was meant to do i was meant to farm for artificer armor after this so like yeah i'm a hundred percent doing it now it's just a case of the fact that like yeah i, ha- I have other reason it's gonna no, be you great ha- yeah you have an ulterior mo- you have content reasons <laughs> mm-hmm. i have content reasons to play the game which is another great reason to play the game oh my goodness um so where do you see going going back to the 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 all the characters and everything where do you see the um the vanguard leading into from this past year leading into lightfall do you see them as like a strong force within the tower do you see like maybe a re-strengthening after lightfall i see them at current in a sort of very, hmm, 
Okay, so th this is where the question gets complex, because I think if you look at them just from the basis of in the tower and their mm -hmm. authority as it pertains to guardians, then yeah, relatively so. I think that most people have accepted that Crow has gone through his journey of redemption and is not Aldrin and is very much there to help. And I feel like effectively Haunted kind of had the beginnings of the sort of the selection of him as the true hunter Vanguard, Vanguard mentor. Mm -hmm. You know, at some point they'll make him pick up Ace of Spades and he'll actually properly do it, which is going to be good. But I think that when it really comes down to the wider question of the Vanguard's strength, you have some very precarious factors going on there. And lots of them set up thanks to things such as the Season of the Splicer and what happened with Savathun. This is where destiny kind of intersects with politics. And I don't mean politics as we know it. I mean the internal politics of, hey, you have this last city of several million people in right. destiny. How does that physically work? How does that run? How do people get their water coming out of their taps? How do they get it coming out of their taps warm? How do they get their food? How do they manage housing? Mm -hmm. You know, And this is part of the fundamentals of the nuts and bolts of it that was in many ways, seemed to have been handled by the factions, right? Mm -hmm. This is one of those moments where you had an internal system that managed what was effectively the domestic policy of the city. And it's an oligarchy, and that's never truly perfectly stable. But it is one of those things where it can be very functional. And from the looks of things, it was after the Vanguard had imposed the authority of Guardians at the top ranks. But... Destiny 2 Vanilla happened, and we lost the Speaker. Mm -hmm. And then Destiny 2 Forsaken happened, and we lost Cade. And suddenly it was two vanguards, no Speakers, and three faction leaders, all of whom were vying for power. And then the season of the Splicer happened, and suddenly there were no factions. Yeah. And now we effectively have... People aren't saying it in the game, because I'm sure that's not the way that it's being dictated... And it seems very clear that Zavala is taking up the point of a leader here as a point of duty rather than a point of personal power. Mm -hmm. But it is effectively a military dictatorship at this point. And it's not one that's formed for the sake of a coup and for the sake of someone's personal power, which is a big difference. You know, Zavala is leading a people. He's trying to make sure they all survive. But ultimately, he has been taking on more work. And even during the times of the season of the Risen and the season of the Haunted, there are these notes that he's incredibly tired. You know, mm -hmm. not tired as in, God, I'm done with all this nonsense. I, lay, I leave, I quit, but physically fatigued, physically tired. He starts falling asleep in the battleground psyops, and Keitel reminds him that he needs to rest. When the Cabal Empress is coming along and reminding you that you need to take a nap, you know that you are stretched way too thin. And, you know, even with the kind of like spiritual healing that happened when the season of the haunted went along and he had to confront his nightmare of his dead wife you still aren't reducing the fact that you have an entire city essentially what he believes at this current point in time to be the entirety of humanity on his back you know this is someone who has effectively been carrying the whole of human civilization without any kind of reprieve for decades if not potentially centuries and that takes a real toll on someone. Mm -hmm. So I think it's very much worth remembering that when we go forward into anything, the factions are not there to help ease the burden of it. And whilst it's very clear that Lakshmi was the true kind of figure that represented a lot of the terrible, you know, 
populism slash fascist type things that happen in the last city, it's also very clear that there were other members of the FWC that really were not about that and quit. Mm -hmm. But also the entire infrastructure that came with the factions, all three of them fell apart. And that matters because, you know, that's not just how people turn their lights on, but it's also how the walls get maintained. It's how do people understand where they're supposed to go for Vanguard FOTC wall duty? You know, this is literally about how you fix the day-to-day things that keep humanity alive. That's a problem. And I think that when it comes to any potential invasion of the last city, which, as my prediction for Lightfall is that the city is going to get hit, I think that that's going to come front and center. And there are some really dangerous knock-on effects of all that, but it makes me think the Vanguard is not that strong right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's not even mentioning the flip side of things with Ikora, who, you know, she's definitely recovered, I think, from the lack of trust that there was in the Witch Queen campaign. Right. And, you know, it's very clear that, that any kind of bounds between the two, as in Zavala and Ikora, has been fixed because they're old friends. And if there was a disagreement, it was never going to last for much longer than the presence of the Witch Queen. Right. But it is one of those things where she has still consistently been dealing with rogue agent guardians that have been going around and using the darkness for evil because some of them have fallen to the corruption. You know, she sits there and she has to regularly refer Arnor, who's one of her hidden agents, chief fixer, and effectively a hired killer at this point to deal with renegade guardians who've gone against the last city. And so... She has to use all of her tools of subterfuge, even though you very much know she would very much not like to do that. And she's doing it so that she can protect the city, but the cost is enormous at the same time. You know, these are two figures who are over leveraging any kind of capital they have, whether that's political capital or just simply the energy they have in their bodies to do the day to day tasks that keep the city running. The Vanguard is really weak. As far as that's concerned, we as players may have no beef with them and we might see their authority as absolute. But mm-hmm. if you look at the bigger picture, yeah, it, we're in trouble. Like we're in a huge degree of trouble and no one is ready for it. I I, I think it's kind of a perfect question to answer, though, because I literally have a script that I'm writing, which is very much about this and a bunch of other different things, assessing where we are in case a war does break out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this is this is where we're at right now. So looking toward neomuna and and the light fall of it all um when when we get there how do you think the reception is going to be i think that guardians have a lot to learn and i think that cloud striders are going to remind them of that you know i I feel like there's going to be a bit of a humbling moment for guardians somewhere mixed into it all there's the uh, moment in the latest trailer Mm -hmm. where one of the cloud striders said i hope that we can find common ground if not common enemies And it makes me think that there's going to be a moment at which we very much have something to learn from the Cloud Striders. Mm -hmm. For starters, we were gifted with our powers. They chose to have theirs. They chose that responsibility. And that puts them in a different place than it does for us. And the consequences for them are that their entire life is effectively forfeit, which is, you know, that's a big deal. That's a personal commitment that quite literally is life or death. Mm -hmm. And we can't die unless our ghosts get killed which is hard enough to do according to the law it's not impossible but you know it's definitely something where it's we can throw ourselves willy-nilly at a problem until eventually it just falls over and dies Mm -hmm. and that's realistically going to be the big difference i think is the cloud striders are going to sit there and 
teach us something about duty and choosing to serve as opposed to what we have always done, which is effectively almost another part of your zealot's journey is just, mm -hmm. you know, we've done it because it's who we are and it's what we've always been. Yeah, we've unquestionably, unquestioningly defended the last city. It's also going to be humbling because we're going to learn we're not the last city anymore. Mm -hmm. And the idea that we are the sole protectors of humanity is going to be totally quashed. And it's going to be something where people are going to sit there and say, no, this is not what's happening. This isn't what's going on. Take that ridiculous title away. There are people here that need your help too. You know, it's, it's going to be a moment where we have to step away from our sort of predisposed position of being some kind of superior moral arbiter and we have to sit there and remember that there is a real world out there that now no longer has one lost city it has two lost mm -hmm. cities you know it's it's very much about humbling the guardians in this respect and i imagine that that's another reason why i think we'll see um you know our lost city get imperiled in some regard Mm -hmm. because it means that when we come to Niamuna, we are as humbled as we can possibly be. Imagine if we come to the last city and we say, it's over, the last city has fallen, and then a cloud strider walks up and says, no, it's not. <laughs> because you sit, you know, obviously our city has fallen, theirs is not. Theirs yeah. is the last city now. You, Yeah, I, I mean, you know, you have a lot of humbling moments that I think are queued up for Guardians, and I'm just waiting to see what happens with that. Because it, yeah, that that seems to be the big narrative beat that I think they're going to tap into. Mm -hmm. Something that you spoke on earlier that, like, I don't know why the the fuses connected my connected in my head. We were talking about Soteria uh, being kind of born out of uh, the Radialorian, uh, and and Ma this, it's made made with some Vex tech, yeah, yeah, uh, or yeah, made with some Vex tech. Thank, thanks for correcting me there. Um, <laughs> the, but like. <laughs> Uh, seeing in the new trailer, especially uh, one of the new Cloud Striders taking on some Vex, and that net over the sky that you that you call out as like some as um, similar to what we saw during season um, was it season of the Splicer? Yes, yes. season of the Splicer. Yeah, um, similar to that. Do you think that we that personally that feels like a, a seasonal campaign thing to me? Um, more so than like a, an undercurrent of the of what they're setting up, but how do you feel that the the Vex play into the Neomuna uh, experience at least going forward? Initially? I'll be totally honest. I'm not sure, but I feel as though if Bungie is going to do anything with the Vex, they need to give the Vex a face, so mm -hmm. to speak. Um, Okay, so this is I, I, I've talked about this a few times before, but this is the big problem with the Vex as an enemy faction. They have very few known named faces, you know? Mm -hmm. With the Hive, you have the big three of the gods originally. You have the Worm Gods. When it comes to, uh, say, the Fallen, you have the structure of the Fallen Houses, and you have the idea of there are Kells and Archons and Servitors. When it comes to the Cabal, you have the different legions and their different primuses. You have the Emperor, you have the Empress, you have the people who were loyal to Gaul back in the days of the Red Legion. You know, you have a lot of different structures that give different contexts to where alliances can lie, and you have depth to them. You can put faces to factions, and you can say which ones are friends and which ones are enemies. You can almost do none of that with the Vex. Mm -hmm. There are realistically only a few distinctions between them. 
And one of the biggest ones, of course, is, well, there's this one faction of Vex from the Black Garden that serves the Witness, and that's kind of it. Yeah. You know, all the other big Vex characters that we've seen in some regard have been killed because either we've killed them the moment we found them or they've been taken from the core deep lore like Quoria has and they've been used in a purpose in a seasonal story that has fitted its place and has now ended. You know, the Vex don't have a face. They don't have a character that can be presented to them. And that, I think, is their big problem. I think that if they do get involved in Lightfall or in any future seasonal stuff, that's the big problem that needs to be confronted. I feel like they may have that, you know, point of contact in the form of Ashamir, because mm -hmm. he has become one with the Vex now, and is actually seen at the end of the season of the Splicer. He's in a blue-eyed harpy that bleeps assistant mm -hmm. at us in Morse code. One of the moments when it actually was real. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's... Uh, it's very it's very clear that the Vex have a place. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it's going to be. But honestly, I would love to see them take some kind of place in Lightfall because they need some expansion. The Vex have a huge problem as far as them being completely alien to us means that there's no way we can possibly characterize them as anything that is relative to us being humans, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. This is actually one of the oldest bits of lore, is this idea that the Vex are so alien that even another quote-unquote robot, which is not technically what the Vex are, yeah. but another quote-unquote robot can't understand them. This comes from the perspective of an Exo character, by the way. It's mm -hmm. a very early piece of lore, which is from the old D1 grimoires. But it's just to demonstrate how alien they truly are, and that makes it really hard for us to identify with them and to create actual meaningful characters with them. So, yeah, that, that's all I feel uh, needs to be done with them in Lightfall is give them a face, give them a motive, give that face a name, you know, and mm -hmm. do something with it that makes it more interesting than, oh no, it's more of the Vex. How'd they get in yeah. here? The cheeky muggers, you know, like the cockroaches that, of the universe. I mean, you know, it's, it's not far off of what Clovis Bray describes them as, but it's not an inapt description. You know, if they work their way into a planet, they will eventually turn it into home. And, yeah, it's actually a very good way of describing them. But, you know, cockroaches have lives too. I'd love yeah. to know a little bit more about them so I can understand why I should hate them more, <laughs> why I should maybe feel sympathy for them. Because that's what a good villain should do, you know? Mm -hmm. It's why I may only have seen Rourke in Destiny's context once in the raid, but the lore around him and the fact that he embraces yeah. the genocide of his people makes him a truly hateful character. You know, it gives him a motive and gives him a place. I want to know why the Vex have a pattern that makes them effectively do the same thing to everything else that isn't them in the universe. I need to understand the core principles behind that, because if not, it's just another robot going beep boop, you know? Mm -hmm. That's what I really want out of them. Well, we we got some context with that with the first, with the first uh, round of Exos going to the Forge Star, right? Yes, we did get a little bit of context from it from way back in the day with uh, Clovis's journals. Mm -hmm. I think the uh, the Forge Star is interesting, but the thing about it is it doesn't expand too much at current on the way that um, we can see the Vex individually. I, I, I should warn people if they're... This is going to sound real silly at the time <laughs> being, but if you're sitting there and waiting for future episodes of my story of Clovis Bray... Clovis Bray Journals thing, this immediately impacts that and has spoilers to it. So if such is the case. Yeah. Uh like and yeah, subscribe. Like and subscribe, but also <laughs> uh 
maybe you don't listen for five minutes. I'll try and keep it quick. The Vex do actually talk with Clovis in that through an illusion that he experiences uh, with a person who is not actually there. And it is one of these moments in which they seem to have some kind of intent with him. You know, so that is one of those moments at which they have communicated and they have actually been able to make their presence known. But perhaps more importantly, it still doesn't give us this major look into their imperative needs other mm -hmm. than survive and grow. You know, that's always kind of been the Vex purpose. And when that mystery is unraveled, everything they do is kind of explained. It's just differences of the way that they do it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not... It. I, I just wish I understood a bit more about it, or at least understood more to the depth of it. Like, I can totally see the reason why they'd want to infinitely prolong the life of a star to create an infinite amount of building materials and create perpetual energy in some regard. But I'd also love to sit there and see a bunch of other stuff about them. Like, you know, how do the internal boundaries of their different groups form? Mm -hmm. How do one set of submines differentiate from the other? Can we sit there and maybe see a war going on between the Vex? Because it's clear that the Soldivisive Vex are avoided. Like, mm -hmm. most of the others aren't. It's just, yeah, there's, there's different bits and pieces. And I'd love to see them actually interacting more, like the other factions do. Keitel and Callus present interesting stories because they have armies and empires that follow them and their actions have consequences. I'd love to see a head mind for the soul divisive emerge mm -hmm. and a leading mind for some other sub mind group that emerges too as a kind of conflicting consciousness, you know, something yeah. along those lines. Um, going into the witness before we get into like a couple of audience questions in the, in the long run, we're, we're seeing, we're, we're taking on his, his lieutenants left and right. Where do you see us directly confronting him in the future? Hey, I think that we're headed towards an Avengers Endgame slash Infinity War type story. Mm -hmm. I think that Lightfall quite literally sees Lightfall. And I imagine that will be the fall of the last city. So, I, I you know, no one has confirmed this for sure, but I think it's very clear. Mm -hmm. That seems to be where things are going. I think that Final Shape will ultimately see us reuniting our ragtag band of forces and taking on the Witness. You know, that's where I see our story going. And ultimately, I feel like it's got to be a showdown between the forces of the Witness and the forces of the Traveler and showing that we as Guardians are the true X factor of all of it. You know, we are the ones who are able to, as the saying goes, make our own fate. Mm -hmm. You know, this is one of those key things upon which Lightfall has got to turn and upon which the final shape should turn too, because... It's the end of a light and dark saga, which implies that the witness and the traveler very need to be sort of have their stories concluded in some manner. You know, they don't need to both explode and fall out into the universe and spread mm -hmm. the light and dark everywhere. But, you know, it's one of these things of if we're going to sit, we're actually going to have a story that contains these two. I, I think it very much needs to be put front and center with some kind of conclusion that makes it clear that we as guardians have choice. And I think honestly that self-determination and the ability to choose one's own fate is going to be a key theme for the next two years. I talked about that in the kind of inflection point mm -hmm. video that I released recently. I feel as though there are major hints to the idea that that's going to happen in the future of the story. Um, 
And I think that a major point of rebuking the witness is going to involve that too, because I, you know, I imagine there will be a point at which the witness once again offers for us to join them. And we are probably going to say no to it. Mm -hmm. Right. Because just because it's another point of we will choose. And also obviously it's the villain. We are not. (laughs) So yeah, you know, that's what, that's where I predict things will go with it, but I'm not sure. Gotcha. Um, So Seth, do you have any questions that you'd like to ask? Actually, I do. I was thinking about this while he was explaining everything. Bife, we know that life is coming, and then we have the funnel shape. And the funnel shape, as Benji says, or has said repeatedly, kind of hinting to, that this is the wrap-up of the current kind of storyline that we're on with Destiny 1 and Destiny 2. Out of the, like, all of the lore that you've read, whether it be past event that's been hinted at, or maybe future events that have been in like hinted at through all the insane law that we have once this storyline is completed if they keep the game going starting a new storyline on everything that you that hasn't been in the current story what is one that you would like to see them kind of pursue or expand upon like let's say next part of destiny is this based on this that makes sense yeah, uh, that's a good question. Can that be, in, I, I guess, my further question to that question is, would it be a case of, would it be okay to go back and explore a past time of the game? Mm. Right? Like, yeah, it can be past the game, like a prequel, quote unquote, like a prequel storyline from before the current one that we're in, or even like something that's been hinted at, because we know that the Exo Stranger has like lived multiple futures, right? Uh, mm. Now, granted, those futures are not going to happen, Mm-hmm. But maybe parts of that, what she's seen or witnessed, could be also explored. I don't know. Like, what, what would you like to see personally as the next storyline? Well, <laughs> there, uh, I'm, okay, so for starters, I'm going to go ahead and preface this by saying I do intend on keeping a job. And I know that I'm probably going to <laughs> because Bungie has hired people that will, quote, sustain Destiny's narrative for the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. That's from their hiring website a few months back, way back when, when they were starting to fill the new roles after the Sony acquisition. So, I mean, you know, let's be clear. And they've said as much as well, Destiny does not conclude with Final Shape. Mm -hmm. So we know that there will be something. For what that will be, honestly, Destiny's universe and the beauty of it is that you have so much open-endedness to it and its story and its lore that you can go almost anywhere, you know? Season of the Plunder was all about pirates. In the Season of Dawn, we time-traveled back to find a great warrior guardian in the form of Saint-14 and literally brought him back to the present timeline. In, you know, Witch Queen, we were kind of exploring the Hive and their mythic nonsense. In everything to do with the Red War, we were basically running an insurgency campaign against a massive invading empire. Like... There are stories out there in Destiny's universe that we haven't even thought of. You could go from Iron Lord one day, where it's all about heraldic knights, to a dragon hunt the next day, Mm -hmm. if you go back to the lore of the old Ahamkara and literally the Great Hunt. You could then jump forward to Plunder and the timeline of the Fallen Pirates. These are all themes that are contained within the universe. And I think it's really important to understand that because... It's my way of saying that Destiny truly could go anywhere. What I'd love to see from them is to effectively say, after Final Shape, 
the big narrative thing of you can choose and you are the final shape and you are the guardian that will make your own destiny part of making your own destiny will be choosing to help others out in the further solar systems that aren't immediately within our vicinity i would love to sit there and see us do things with that i'd love to see us go to the dark worlds that the drifter mentioned that are either covered in egregore or covered in those strange monoliths that are filled with creatures of darkness that can just drain the light out of a person. I'd love to see us return to the homeworld of the Cabal with Keitel and reclaim it from the Hive. That would be an amazing storyline to see us unfold. I'd love to see the Elixni and the potential reclaiming of Reese, or maybe just the new settlement of them here in our own solar system. You could sit there and make an entire compelling storyline about the Scions, who are completely untouched with a few bits and pieces left over, because we've never actually had a major Scion character that we've spoken to. You know, we've had enemies, and we've had mm -hmm. them in the lore, but our Guardians never sat down and spoken to a Scion. And the fact that they then go ahead and communicate in one's mind with emotions and feeling. When someone is spoken to by a Scion, it's talking, you know, it... It's talking through emotion in the sense that the person feels warmth and describes it like colors, you know? Mm -hmm. These are all storylines we could unpack in the future, and that's where I want to go. But the cool thing is they could do anything, you know? If they want to do a prequel that's set in the Dark Ages, amazing. You want to talk about the first invasion of the Elixni and talk about things such as the Battle of Six Fronts? Would I love to see that play out as a campaign event? Hell yeah, that would be amazing. Would I love to see us sit down and then have a bit where we can interact and see the story of the last word and thorn go out in front of us? Hell yeah. Would I love to see us take part in the great Ahamkara hunt? I mean, it would definitely be a story beat. It would be terrifically sad and we'd have further context on it now, but these are all amazing stories that could also be explored in a prequel. So mm -hmm. yep. sequel and territories beyond is definitely what I lean to, but honestly, they could do anything. Destiny's lore is wide reaching enough that it's possible. Um, That'd be cool. That reminds me of something that my friend, Mr. Dune said last night when we were playing, when we were playing Destiny one and like, <laughs> and the stranger shows up, he's like, man, I bet we know more now than she did then. <laughs> oh yes. All right. That's a good question. Actually. It kind of depends on when she gets dropped in, and it also depends on like what bits of context did and didn't change before then. Mm -hmm. If Destiny works off the idea of you know an infinite number of possibilities and kind of a multiverse theory of things, then it's entirely possible that we know everything and yet nothing about the past. If you get what I mean, mm -hmm. you know, you could have seen. 10,000 different versions of the past that all repeat in the same way. And yet there are an infinite number of those out there. So 10,000 is in the real scape of things, a tiny number, yeah. you know, but yeah, no, I, 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 we, the players absolutely do us, the guardians are uh, questionable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I don't know if our guardians know anything, you know, they kind of just get ferried around from bit to bit and just kind of shrug and let the ghost do the talking. Mm -hmm. um, the first audience question that like, Especially segmented off uh, that I didn't add into the episode. Um, Cold asks uh, about anything pertaining to the Exo Stranger and why they have a Puka uh, from Titan or from from Neo Muna. How does she have it? If there's any lore pertaining to it in general, they have so many questions, and I th think we all do. the The only thing that I saw when I was looking into it was in the Quicksilver Storm um, 
description. Yes. Quicksilver Storm and whatever the uh, whatever the shell is that you get for pre-ordering alongside it. Can I just say I, I'm I'm both glad and furious that it all comes back yet again to the goddamn motherfucking space fish. Um, <laughs> fuck fish! It's a fish. No it's one a guppy. Know, honestly, you 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 know what's so frustrating about that? <laughs> we didn't know it was called a puka until they threw it in Fortnite. Yeah. That's how we learned that it's called a puka. <laughs> the multiversal <laughs> nature of Fortnite. No, they didn't I name it in a in a stream. They mentioned it in a stream, but it came alongside it, you know? Like, mm-hmm. this was one of those things of, it's all in the same day. And we didn't necessarily know immediately, because the collaborative stuff, I think, came before that in the stream. And mm-hmm. the pictures of it being available via the Epic Store as a puka yeah. is the very first, like, true confirmation of it. And it's just like, damn it. <laughs> you know? Fortnite. Thank you, Fortnite, I guess, but it's such a strange mix of everything to see it. But yeah, no, we know absolutely jack shit about the Pukas right now. Yeah. We know that's what they're called. That's after two years of asking, yeah. you know? We know after that they, everybody sat. Yeah. They're in like some garden area in the trailer. And that's. They have a pond. Yeah. And I love that for them. That's awesome. <laughs> I love that they have a pond. And I'm so happy for them. Does that tell us about whether they're indigenous to Neptune and Neomuna? Does mm-hmm. it tell us about whether they're truly organic or whether they're kind of like a hybrid biomechanical thing? Does it tell us anything about them? Does, does, does it say? No. It says that they are around a pond. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I have nothing to say about the law that is not already stated. And that makes me sad and slightly mad because, damn it, it has the potential to be really cool. And I'd love to know why one of them is following the ex of Stranger. Yeah. But we don't know. <laughs> It's uh, from yeah, from that Quicksilver Storm tab. It does reference it as a juvenile. Yes, it does indeed reference it as a juvenile. So we know that they can grow up, but it's also one of those odd questions of like, it very much looks as though it's got a bunch of metal on its body and some strange mechanical bits and pieces to it. And the technology of Neomona is also about nanite technology that very mm-hmm. much can be fused with someone's biology. I mean, look at the cloud striders. So this stuff is not out of the question, but it's one of those things of like, we just don't know. <laughs> like they've given us nothing. Mm-hmm. And that makes me furious. But yeah, also I look forward to three whole law books in Lightfall about the goddamn motherfucking space fish. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but that's going to be good fun. <laughs> that means that she knew about Neonuma. Indeed, mm-hmm. it potentially Did she does. Did mention it? No, and I think there's a deliberate reason for that. And I think the reason is she's not sure if our timeline succeeds. And if our timeline doesn't succeed, she doesn't want to let us know because that way oh, yeah. Muna might still survive. It's the same reason that Rasputin partitioned that information off and now mm-hmm. it's only known as Nefele Stronghold in his databanks and he doesn't have any further context on it. That is the key important bit to it. If you sit there and you understand that context of they're playing a game about trust, but the wages are all about the actual stakes of human survival, then you can kind of understand that if she did know about it, which is unbelievably likely considering the puka, then you are going to sit there and totally take her side and not reveal a damn thing about Neomuna, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you aren't saying anything until it's absolutely necessary. And even then, you might just let the last city and the Guardians die so that Neomuna has a chance. Yeah. Because at least someone lives then, right? Like, yeah. it's a high-stakes game. Man, this entire episode, we've been going for 
an hour and 26 minutes and we haven't even touched on the passion that it the passion of Rasputin <laughs> and the war Dude, mind. This is what talking to Pipe is. It's like so fun. I don't understand. It's These so fun. conversations. So fun. It's like amazing. I love talking to Pipe whenever I can. Thank you. For the final question of the night, Saxism asks, uh, lore wise, what do you think is the canonical? I'm sorry, what? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. What was that name? Saxism? <laughs> Oh wow! Sexism. Sexism. Sorry, I I heard sex is a mask, and I was like, "Excuse me." <laughs> uh, what? For I'm those so who sorry. make it to the end of the episode, hashtag that on Twitter. Hashtag uh, the password is Fidelio. I guess. Jeez. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, sorry. <laughs> sexism. What is that question? <laughs> <laughs> and the wheels fell off. off. And the wheels <laughs> fell off. Um, Lore-wise, <laughs> what do you think is the canonical difficulty of the game? Are Guardians struggling every step, like Legend Master Mode? Or are we ROFL stomping every mission a la normal difficulty? I think that that totally depends on the context of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's go ahead and put it this way. There are some missions which are very clearly a ruffle stomp narratively for us. Take, for example, the strike against the fanatic, the hollowed lair. Mm-hmm. That is a strike that canonically is not done once. In the law, they state openly that they have sent multiple fire teams repeatedly to kill the fanatic. And mm-hmm. in those instances, I think it's fair to say that it's not a total ruffle stomp, but it is fairly easily done within the bounds of our powers and capabilities. You know? Mm-hmm. Then you have big moments like killing Rolk. Killing Rolk is something that is achieved clearly through great struggle, is done by fighting members with both light and darkness, and is a major narrative moment. Not just because it's the first time we ever meet someone who's a true disciple of the Witness, but also because it's this moment at which you sit there and you can say, okay, the narrative implies that their battle is legendary. It implies that the raiding of this pyramid is not some small deal, you know? So there is no set difficulty for it. I mean, when you sit there and you see some things where the narrative implies that it's incredibly hard for a guardian to do a certain thing, and others where they imply that a very similar action is actually quite easy, I think it's less about what the set narrative difficulty is and more what the circumstances are in the world. Because much as there are moments where a mechanic in a video game, like a darkness zone, is there just because video game, There are also moments that categorize something which does happen in the law, which is it's a place where the light does not as easily reach. And therefore, if you die, you will actually properly die. You know, when you sit there and think about the context of Sagira's death with Osiris, that happens not just probably because it happened in a place where there was a cryptolith of Sivorath and there's an incredible amount of darkness there, but also because there was a dark presence capable of killing a ghost there, which is a big deal narratively. Mm-hmm. So the real answer is it depends. If you're out on patrol and you're just against a casual elixir doing something here or there, you're probably not in a place where you're in a huge amount of danger. And narratively, I wouldn't put it there either. You know, you don't tend to see guardians getting felled by a random drag in the EDZ. Mm-hmm. But if you're sitting there and looking at the context of other characters, then yeah, you can sit there and think that the narrative difficulty of what they're doing when you're facing off against someone like, say, Rolk, you know, you you could accurately state that's much tougher. You know, mm-hmm. 
I, I I know that's kind of a non-answer, but I feel like it is a way of sitting there and saying, look at yeah. the mechanics of the video game. Yeah. When you're actually seeing something that is implied to be very difficult by yeah. the mechanics of something, then you should accept that, narratively speaking, that's quite difficult too. Mm-hmm. And you should also accept that it varies according to each Guardian. I mean, you know, you have... <laughs> Has anyone read the uh, lore on the Yalahorn from D2? I have not, no. Okay, so the law of the Yalahorn talks about how there is a new guardian and a veteran guardian. And the veteran guardian effectively shows the new guardian their Yalahorn. And the new guardian's like, ah, it's not such a big deal. What of it? I got a rocket launcher. I got one of those. And they're like, no, you really don't have one of these. And the new guardian responds and is like, yeah, well, my rocket launcher has cluster bombs. What can yours do? At which point... I believe the rocket launcher in question gets yeeted into the air and then shot with the Yalahorn. And the Yalahorn <laughs> is passed on to the new generation. You know, guardians of different skills will have difficulty with different things. Not just because the veterans have Yalahorns, but also because the veterans know the world better. Mm-hmm. You know, we, as players, emphasize that in reality, right? Like, if you show someone the game and they've never played a video game before, they're going to be, as the law would put it, narratively speaking, a new, newly risen guardian. And they're not going to be that great at what they do. They're not going to be able to necessarily hold the gun and shoot straight. And that's fine, because that's just what it is. That's that's the natural scale of ability that people go on. Mm-hmm. If you're then going to go ahead and judge things like people who do low man raids and who are literally doing these raid encounters as two to three people and talking about the individual skill that that requires, you know, guardians like that exist in the law too. Mm-hmm. We, narratively speaking, are supposed to be a good reflection of where that goes. So narratively speaking, if you sit there and you see someone struggling with anything, that's how difficult the game is. You know, that, mm-hmm. that's what I'd say. That's where I'd put it. Where do you find your difficulty? That's how difficult it is, narratively speaking. That also like brings an excellent like follow up of like, I mean, we have legendary characters and characters in game who have taken on raids that we have felled time and time again now, um, like Eris, especially with Crota and and Pratith and and Vault of Glass. Like, it is in some regards we are we have surmounted difficulties that that even they couldn't and as as legendary yeah. guardians and and here's the thing as well whilst narratively speaking those raids are moments in time and they only happen once mm-hmm. it's worth remembering that you know we as guardians as the individual player guardian for that matter are noted to be special in the law okay so here's a thing this is kind of a little fascinating tidbit did you know that the important characters within destiny have a hidden identifier number his, oh, his, yeah. okay let's stop but yeah, let's start from the beginning for those who don't know. The Hidden is kind of like the Secret Service, CIA, NSA, FBI, MI6, and MI7 rolled into one for the last city specifically. Mm-hmm. And they all answer to Ikora, right? So it's this secret intelligence agency. And not only do they do things like assassinations and intelligence gathering, but also they keep active tabs on certain characters throughout the system. So my favorite two examples of this, we have identifier numbers for certain important characters 2015 vip number 2015 was oryx the taken king Mm -hmm. they have specific identifier numbers that they refer to these people as in their hidden reports we are noted as having killed oryx you know what's really funny about that our hidden vip number is 2014 not only implying that we came along and then shortly 
went ahead and killed Oryx because the Hidden did not have information on Oryx before we came along to a great extent. Mm. But also it's, you know, it's the two years in which those things released. We came along canonically in Vanilla Destiny in 2014 and Oryx came along in The Taken King in 2015. So that's kind of fun. The whole point of it, though, is we are powerful enough, even by the time that we're fighting Oryx, that we end up being worthy of being watched by the Vanguard and by the hidden services Mm. and by all of the people who are in that organization. You know, they talk about how we are kind of a force unto ourselves and that if we do something, others will follow. You know, this is actually a key point in some of, I believe, the intro to Witch Queen in the journals of Ikora and her correspondence with Chalco and Arnor. You know, it's this idea of if we went there and did something, others would follow. I want to say that's in reference to actually using the darkness and learning how to use it. So, you know, we as guardians are noted to be very powerful. We individually, the player character, but also we are player characters in the context of everyone else who's playing the game. Mm -hmm. So it is this simultaneous storytelling where you are not the main character, but you are also very much the main character at the same time. We're the trendsetter. Yeah, we are the trendsetter, and yet the trend has already been set by us. Yeah. In the form of other people who are also playing the game. (laughs) So, you know how I said that that was the last question? Actually, I have two more questions, if that is fine. All right, hit me with it. Let's do it. All right, all right. Let's go. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Ben Sampson from my Discord asks, how do do you anticipate the nine to be represented in Lightfall? I don't know if I think they're going to be represented in Lightfall. And the reason I say that is because I feel like there are seasonal narrative that will come along sometime in the future. If you ask me, the nine are going to be represented at some point when it's very clear that the Awoken need to resurface in the story. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is because there's a big story thread with Sir Ido that potentially can get tied up there. And also because the nine are one of the wild cards in the system, you know? They are apparently split down the middle. There are some groups that want us to survive and are trying to help us as much as possible. And there's another faction and group within the Nine that wants to see their ability to exist cut entirely from us. This is, it goes into deep lore, but basically without us existing in the world the way we do, the Nine cease to exist mm-hmm. is the brief version of it. So I'd love to go ahead and see that get expanded with the Awoken story too, because... They are apparently the reason that Sir Ido is dead. And Mm -hmm. the queen has some beef there. And it's very important to remember that beef because her and Sir Ido were very much lovers. And even though they certainly had that relationship sort of cool off as time went on, she was still very clearly close and was furious when she learned about her death. You know? So, yeah, there's a great story to be had there, but I don't think it's going to come in lightful. I feel as though it's a more of a seasonal beat where we'll see Mara return, where we'll probably be seeing Sia Ido return because the statue from Shattered Throne says that she will. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's bits and pieces there that I think will show up as time goes on. Also look forward to it because this is a really like, this is one of the most skilled Awoken warriors that you've ever seen. Someone who's capable of wielding a longbow English style as mm-hmm. in, probably has the crooked shoulder for and everything and has a longbow aka wishender that is taller than anyone and also it's worth remembering that she's been able to kill shacks with that thing once or twice so you know <laughs> she's 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 no small character she's going to be a seriously skilled individual like mm-hmm. this is very much going to be a little bit like saint 14 returning 
It'll be the sort of thing of, a, you know, Vex approaches the portal and then just wham, a fist appears out of it. <laughs> Except in this instance, it's going to be an arrow that slams into something and just leverages it to a wall and sticks it in place there. You know, like yeah. that's the kind of character I would expect. And that's what I think will revolve around with the nine. And I don't think it's coming in life. Gotcha. Uh, Gray Fox asks, Lore Daddy. What lore drop yes. would you suggest folks sh- should know, no matter their level of Destiny 2 knowledge? What is mm. the quintessential lore drop? That's a very good question. Hmm. Oh, that's a really, really good question. <laughs> um, oh, there are things I'd like to say selfishly, but that's not what the true answer to the question is. Um, I think the most important thing for people to know at this point, like the quintessential lore drop, would be the Books of Sorrow, and the context around it. Mm -hmm. So if I can extend that kind of to two things, it's the old Books of Sorrow, so you can understand the story of the Hive, also the story of how the darkness kind of operates, but then also the lore specifically from the Vow of the Disciple Mm -hmm. and the mission that comes after it and the lore that's attached to that and the idea of who Rolki is in Witch Queen. Because that gives you not only an idea of how our true enemy operates, it gives you an idea of a major story beat going forward, it gets you into the deepest lore that you could possibly get into, and gives you the introduction of the kind of sweeping story that Destiny can tell. Mm-hmm. And while it's doing all of that, it preps you for a raid, which is endgame content. It gives you the ability to get a better context as to who the witness is, and you're able to uh embrace that going into lightfall as well as sit there and see it immediately be relevant of any content that you've got in the game right now and which will remain in the game afterwards because witch queen and vow of the disciple are not going anywhere so yeah that's that's what i'd say i'd i'd, I'd extend it to and i'd say the books of sorrow and i'd say the law around vow of the disciple those are the quintessential bits that i would learn hell yeah well sir thank you so much for your time today and for, it's for coming been, to hang out with us. It's been wonderful. I, I, I always like sitting down and being able to answer questions. And you've let me word vomit a whole ton. And I'm very thankful for that. Look, man, if there's one thing podcast hosts love, it's people who like talking. And <laughs> if it wasn't, yeah, if, if it wasn't for, uh, if it wasn't for any of that, then I imagine it would be a somewhat more boring podcast. But yeah. <laughs> You know, if it was just like, yeah, cool. What about this? It's like, do <laughs> do you think the nine will appear on Lightfall? No. Yes. <laughs> Next. Okay, so that was one question. <laughs> yeah, no. I'm honestly, it's thank you for letting me word vomit. I understand that sometimes my answers get long and long winded, but it, it's always a pleasure to be able to sit there and talk about stuff like this. Dude, it's always it's always a pleasure to have hosted you in the past on other shows. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and be in fire teams with you. So, like, yeah, if you if you need anything. Don't hesitate. And if you'd ever want to come back, you are more than welcome to. So Hell yeah. Well, I have to get an episode in at some point after Lightfall when we finally have the fish law and oh, hell I can yeah. sit there and adequately give it to people. We can call it Puka Truths. Mm-hmm. Puka- <laughs> the Puka Files. Oh my god. No, that no, I'm gonna take that back immediately because that does not sound okay. No. Oh, Good lord. God. Uh, I was going for X-Files and it went somewhere completely yep. different. Never mind. Yep. Anyway. Where can the on. good people on the internet find you, good sir? You can find me on uh, 
Twitter, Hive, and YouTube. Uh, if you're looking for all of those, you would look for at my name is Bife. That's B Y F at the end. Um, YouTube now also has the ads, so that's a thing. But I imagine if you just type in Destiny Law, my stuff is somewhere in that bunch of things to it do with the algorithm. Fairly high toward the top, yes. Somewhat high towards the top. Uh, also, uh, I appreciate anyone who does go ahead and uh, hit subscribe because we are nearly approaching that massive uh seven figure barrier and mm-hmm. soon i will have a million subscribers on youtube which is very exciting and i'm very thankful for everybody who's along the whole journey helped me get there because this is really exciting uh i you know this, this is the big one as everyone will go ahead and put it and we're getting very close so very exciting dude like yeah you're like a little I, after checking today you're a little shy under um 6k i believe you're 6k away mm-hmm. yeah how yeah, how does that feel the, this is a Not content really, creator yeah. related question but like how does that feel does it feel surreal does it feel like a triumph of all the years that you've been doing it it's a mix of things i think mm-hmm. it won't hit me until it hits me and even then uh i feel as though it's going to be a very different moment <laughs> um uh, you know i have done this for well over 10 years i've known this has been coming along for a while Mm -hmm. and honestly it's it's really gratifying whenever i get to see a big number like this there's a part of me which is kind of hyped about it and there's a part of me where it's just like it's just another day you know Mm -hmm. and i'm kind of thankful for both of those there's one of those which keeps me level-headed and there's the other one that reminds me that it is okay to occasionally take pride in one's work and be giddy about things Uh, that latter bit has not necessarily completely formed yet (laughs) uh because i'm still in the process of oh my god i need to get prepared for lightfall and i need to be ready for the day one raid and i need to make sure i'm still making content and i need to get my pc repaired again which is part of the reason why i'm not on camera for this podcast i'm so sorry everyone but you know it's uh yeah uh when you're in the thick of it and you're Mm -hmm. only thinking about how to get the the meat and potatoes done for future content Mm -hmm. it's very hard to look at the big things but i'll stop and smell the roses at some point and it's going to be great you know and uh, I, I very much look forward to that. The biggest thing of it all, I'm just glad that I get to be able to sit down and pay my bills for another month. That's, yeah. a, that's, a, that's a great feeling. Heck yeah. Well, many more years to come. Here's to the first million. On to the next one. <laughs> Thank you so much, man. That will most definitely be what it is. On to the next. But yeah, <laughs> uh, I've, it's been great being here. Thank you so much. My name's Dan Finity. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and the TikTok at Danfinity, where the eyes are else. You can catch me three days a week on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash Danfinity, helping Guardians do pinnacle and in-game PvE activities. If you'd like to support the show, remember to rate and review on your podcast platform of choice. Anything you say helps us in the algorithm. This show is also listener-supported, so if you'd like to give three bucks a month to help keep the lights on, head on over to coffee.com forward slash Danfinity. That is ko-fi.com forward slash Danfinity. All the links are in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you find what you're grinding for.